0: this week on dig me out somewhere in this world there's obviously a decent amount of fans of this record
1: this was a little bit more popular than you and i probably realize
2: tim
0: and jay review attack of the gray lantern by manson
1: Welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minnichi, and joining me as always, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay.
0: Oh, nice radio delivery.
1: Thank you very much. (laughs) I like it. Weather on 6 and 10s. 6 and 10s. Jay, how are you this evening? Oh, I'm good. You're good? Great. Yes.
0: Beautiful day in Austin.
1: Wonderful. Glad to hear that. We got up to 50 here in Columbus today, so... Not going to brag, but that was pretty warm. That's not bad. No. You'd put your light jacket on instead of your heavy winter coat <laughs> for going out. What was it done in Austin?
0: It was actually uh, borderline hot today. It was uh, 75. Wow. Got outside, washed the car, got a sunburn.
1: Okay. Well, enough about that. <laughs> Jay, this week we have what we like to call. Requested review.
2: Requested, requested review. review.
1: And this week it comes from our old friend from down under, Mr. Gavin Reed. He uh, knew of our Brit Pop month, and he said, "Let me throw one at you." And since this is the month of Brit Pop, we just did our roundtable, and we started it out with Morrissey, the, one of the precursors to. Britpop, influences on Britpop. We're now going to do one of what I would call, I guess, the second wave of Britpop. Uh, This is a band that formed in 1995, which was the height of the Britpop wars between Blur and Oasis. And the band that we're going to review is called Manson, and it's their debut record from 1997 called Attack of the Grey Lantern. Now, Jay, were you familiar with Manson before gavin suggested this to us
0: yeah i remember this record i don't know why i don't know if you had it or i just remembered at the radio station maybe i maybe i actually have it used i I don't know i
1: did i actually see i thought that you were the one that had this record before me and i thought that it was actually the second record that you had which was called six i thought you Hmm. had that one and then went and got the first record after that but maybe i'm wrong
0: uh, this is the one I'm most familiar with. Okay. I didn't I didn't even think to check my CDs to see if I had it. I don't think I do. I could, but uh, I definitely remember
1: it. Okay. And I definitely picked it up because I actually ripped the MP3s to my MP3 collection mm-hmm. and then sold it like I did with so many other CDs. That created a little bit of a conundrum for you and me because I'm working off of the US version of the album and right. because you weren't you know looking for it in your record collection you went to the spotify version which is the uk version so our track orders are a little bit different um so we'll be referring to songs by their names and not saying you know track number four because our track number fours might not necessarily be the same and also we have a different one different song so you're going to be talking about a song that i don't have any idea what the hell you're talking about so (laughs) i'm just going to go get a drink during that segment of the show
0: what's cool about the uh Using the Spotify version is that uh, it is the collector's edition. Oh. So <laughs> I don't know. This might be the first album we've reviewed that has a collector's
1: edition. How do is... you collect something that's on Spotify?
0: Well, I mean, it's it was the purpose of the release. I'm sure it wasn't for Spotify, but the one that Spotify has is the collector's edition. Which oh, I has, see. has three discs. There's the original 12 track uh uk release there is a uh 21 track disc two of b-sides and alternate takes and a disc three which is a lot of uh live stuff so there is obviously for somebody to put this out somewhere in this world there's obviously a decent amount of fans of this record
1: well jay i'll I'll get into it in the history but This was a little bit more popular than you and I probably realize.
0: I see that, based on there being a collector's edition.
1: Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about the history of the band.
2: History of the band.
1: Uh, So this band formed in Chester, England in 1995. The main group at that time was Paul Draper, the vocalist and rhythm guitarist, bassist Stove King... Lead guitarist and backing vocalist Dominic Chad, and drummer Andy Rathbone. They were originally called Grey Lantern. That was the first name of the band. Hmm. After um, Paul Draper created an alter ego based on his appreciation for DC Comics. And because he was nervous about going on stage, so he created basically an alter ego to help him get over his stage fright. Um, but they ended up changing the name of the band to actually Manson, the spelling with an O. But they were they were sued by Charles Manson's estate, so they changed the letter from O to U.
0: Wow. So are they before Marilyn Manson, or were they unaware of that band?
1: Uh, Marilyn Manson would have been a precursor, would have been before, because that was Marilyn Manson started putting out records in the early '90s.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that would have made it triple-A weird.
1: Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So the band felt self-financed their debut release, which was the single for Take It Easy Chicken, which is a, sing- a song on the record we're going to review. That came out in September 1995 on their own record label, and it got played on BBC, BBC Radio by Steve Lemack and John Peel. And this is the interesting part, which we talked about this happening in 1995 with uh, Menswear, but this also happened with this band. Despite not having played a single show... And the band, later admitting that they couldn't even play together as a band very well at the time, a bidding war started to sign the band. So they had one song that they had recorded and not played a show, and there was a bidding war by multiple labels to sign them. Mm. And they ended up signing to Parlophone, and after releasing a couple singles and EPs, in February of 1997, they released their debut album, which we're reviewing, Attack of the Grey Lantern. The album spent 19 weeks on the UK album chart, and it peaked at number one, so this made it all the way to the top, Jay. Wow! Yeah,
0: I had no idea. I honestly expected when I know when to pull this up in Spotify for it to to not even be there.
1: <laughs>
0: Yet alone there be a collector's edition three disc set. So right,
1: yeah. So like uh, I mentioned earlier, that there were quite a few Manson fans out there that we uh, we didn't know about it. So the second album came out. September of 1998, that's six, which I mentioned earlier. The third album, Little Kicks, came out in August of 2000. And then the band broke up uh, in May of 2003 while they were making their fourth record. That ended up, ended up coming out in September of two, t- 2004 uh, as Kleptomania. It was, I think, like a couple of eight or nine new songs and then some songs that were collected from... Uh, some other releases to create a whole record. That's it for the history of Manson. There's some other interesting stuff that you can read about. One of the members f- uh had cancer uh for a brief period of time and he had to go through chemotherapy. Um mm-hmm. there were some issues with the lead singer. I think it was the lead singer getting drunk and getting like banned from certain pubs in the UK and there were there's a lot of drama with this band. Um Again, They only have a short history, less than 10 years, but four records, lots of EPs and singles, and lots of drama. So worth checking out. Read it on their Wikipedia page. Uh, If you, like Gavin Reed, have an album that you would like us to review, please visit our request a review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. We got a little bit of Facebook feedback on this one, Jay. It's from Joe Roiland. He says, wow, there's one I haven't listened to in a while. Remember, really digging wide open space. But I can't recall much more about the album. I'm going to have to find my copy and give it a spin again before the show. I hope you did that, Joe, and you can chime in on your thoughts. We're going to give our thoughts now on this record. So, Jay, we were both familiar with this record. We'd listened to it, followed it away, hadn't broken it out in a while. Getting back into this record, let mm-hmm. start with you. Did it sound like what you remembered? And uh, was that a good thing or a bad thing?
0: Uh, it didn't, uh, and that was a good thing. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess maybe because we're also, you know, revisiting this as part of the Britpop month, I was a little surprised by how much American influence I heard on this record. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, there's obviously some Britpop moments, in some very you know English uh, specific tendencies or references or what have you, um, but there's also some like clearly california 60s psychedelic moments on this record that really surprised me and i actually became i think probably my favorite favorite parts of the record uh, one of those tracks unfortunately is the one that you have not heard
1: yes <laughs>
0: which is stripper vicar remember this song at all but it's the one that stood out when i uh revisited it it's got a big pop sound there's a there's a little bit bit of a beach boys thing going on with the vocal arrangements and you hear this on some of the other songs a little tiny bit but on this one they really play it up it's got a real power pop kind of almost jellyfish kind of chorus to it um and they revisit that sound again at the end of the record with an open letter to the lyrical train spotter um
1: i don't have that f- song either really yeah
0: <laughs> that is amazing i mean there are two songs that definitely okay so this one sounds like beach boys and maybe a little bit of the turtles but it's it's maybe even more 60s california psychedelic sound hmm. and the those two songs you know, definitely have that feel, and it's interesting to me that they left them off on the American release <laughs> because they're the the two that are most clearly American influenced as well, and the maybe the most best single potential, but they certainly have hooks and are very strong melodically. So, wow, that's that's really interesting. They left those off.
1: That is interesting because I don't get that same sense of American influence, I guess, and is maybe because yeah. those two songs missing
0: yeah Uh, yeah because then once you hear it you can hear i mean those two are blatantly you know in that direction but then you can kind of pick up you know little things on other songs that where it's not as blatant but you can can tie it back to like you know obviously that was a point of influence for them um so it starts to make it overall just have a different vibe once you experience uh those two tracks so ooh, it's like we almost reviewed two different records um
1: (laughs) it is that's, that's very interesting that the track you know <laughs> listing by two songs can make a huge difference because when I heard that psychedelic aspect to me on like a song like Dark Mavis which you have yeah. that song right that yeah. reminded me of like a day in the life Beatles sort of parts of sure. it and it, it had it had a psychedelic influence on some of the songs but it was more I was thinking more just general 60s psychedelia with like some of the Beatles Uh, you know which is derived out of hearing you know the beach boys take some divergent tracks and as well as jefferson airplane and some of those bands I think his voice is less British sounding than, you know, Blur and Suede and some of those other bands. I didn't get that sort of uh, in the same way that when you listen to a country song and you hear the twang and you know it's a country song, yeah, I yeah. if you had told me on certain songs like Wide Open Space or some of the other ones, I, I wouldn't know that it's a British band necessarily. No.
0: He, uh, he'll subtly very 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 subtly dude like the little trill at the end of some lines like uh brett anderson will do but that's it
1: like mm-hmm. other than
0: that and it's very like you really have to pay attention other than that yeah i would agree that in fact a song like wide open space there's phrases in there with when he sings a little bit like in the nasally kind of range that he sounds like almost like mike patton from faith no more when they're doing like yeah like, like their quieter interludes or you know their softer kind of side uh, there's something about the pitch of his voice and when he's in that uh that range that just like reminded me of them which was again totally unexpected when I yeah. visited this record <laughs>
1: time when he sort of sounded and you mentioned Brett Anderson so I'll use that as the comparison um, like I could hear some of that Britishness was on Tax Loss which has that like Tomorrow Never Knows sort of drum uh, beat yep. where they, I don't know what that's called exactly but they're playing like a sort of a straight beat and then toward get, towards the end it sort of like plays does that weird fill that sounds like tomorrow never knows but that tax loss sounded like it could have been on coming up by suede or yeah yep. you know uh, it was definitely in that vein um but that was one of the few times where it was apparent that it was a, a british band
0: yeah egg shoot fred has um uh, give kind of phrasings are brit pop ish you know um that was their i think the first single as well which kind of makes sense but yeah i mean overall i would think i was really surprised at just how diverse it was and you know just outright some unexpected moments i heard quite a bit of later era uh, new order or even that electronic record that we'd reviewed Mm -hmm. um there was a couple songs that sounded like they could be Are were in that range, which I don't remember. I didn't hadn't remember this band sounding like, but there's two or three where I think they're closer to that sound than they are a more of a traditional Britpop sound. Uh, She makes my nosebleed was was one that I thought was comparative to the New Order or electronic.
1: I can hear that. I think it's one of the things that caught me off guard was how much program beats they're using. I didn't... Maybe it's a guy playing an electronic kit, but I didn't remember that there was so much non-live drumming going on. Yeah, I didn't Did you remember that? No. I was was like, oh, this is interesting in that it's a little bit more... I I can understand then how they were able to write a song like Take It Easy Chicken without really having played together as a band because it's built around a drum loop.
0: I don't have that song.
1: (laughs) Take It Easy Chicken? No. Let me listen to it. (laughs) That's on that's on uh, album number two. Yeah, that was the big single. This is a disaster. What's got going on here?
0: Yeah, I'm just listening to it now. It was on disc two.
1: So, hmm. do, you, do you remember that song? No, like, like, that, I, that guitar I, I, riff.
0: No, I remember Wide Open Space. That's the song that. Uh, huh. That I definitely remembered. Okay. Where Give is that up. on the record?
1: It's uh, track five. You? Wide Open Space is track five.
0: So uh, track six is Stripper Vicker. So maybe they replaced it, swapped those two. And you have 12 tracks?
1: No, I have 11.
0: Uh, okay, I have 12 tracks. So I think they switched those two, and then I got uh, Open Letter to the Lyrical Transporter as the last track, which is interesting because my only complaint about that song, I like the song, my only complaint is that uh, Dark Mavis is just such an epic like build and ending
2: mm-hmm. that it's
0: really kind of anticlimactic to come back with another song. I found that very odd that dark Mavis Rees is the last song. And then another song comes on and you're like, well, it's a good song, but you kind of already, I already closed the book here.
1: Well, so the European version that you're listening to came out in February of 97. The mm U S version that I'm listening to came out in June of 97. So in that, you know, five months they figured out that they needed to put dark Mavis as the actual last song. Yeah. For the American release. And that collector's edition came out in 2010.
0: Yeah, I probably would have kept uh, Open Letter and then pulled something else. There's a couple tracks like Disgusting is okay, but uh, not great. Naked Twister, not great. A little loungy, almost sounding. And this is that was the point in the record where I started to get bored. Um, e- Egg shaped Fred kind of saved it for me. The, the in terms of the sequence, I listened to it because it it's got more energy and it it wakes you up, but somewhere between six and 10, I think they could have moved this, uh, the song you haven't heard (laughs) somewhere within there and pulled one of those out. I think that would have been a better, better mix overall, but what'd you think of all the, um, the strings?
1: I liked it. And I have to say that I, I think that what sets this band apart is that sort of symphonic element that is not present in the majority of other Britpop Pop bands, other than say, you know, uh, Blur used it on the Universal and maybe a couple other songs, and Pulp mm-hmm. used it here and there. I like when they did that. Um, I like on the Chat Who Love Me, the the beginning, it creates this big epic intro that yeah. <laughs> kind of reminded me of a Robbie Williams song. Um, oh, yeah. So I don't know which came first, but I'm pretty sure. I, th- I think the Manson song came first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was Millennium, wasn't it? The name of that song, that Rob Williams song, and I think yeah. it came out in like '99. Yeah, but it's it's totally very similar. That yeah,
0: yeah, it it definitely reminded me of something, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And I think that's what it is. Yeah, that's I, the same string melody, isn't it?
1: It's very close. I yeah. like to I day I like I'd to ABM. think the thing that i i was a little bit thrown is i thought this album was weirder than go listening to it now it it really isn't as weird as i thought and maybe that i'm remembering six because i know on six they they did do some kind of weird stuff on that album from what i read they they didn't have the whole album written so they were doing a lot of pasting songs together sort of like what the refuse did for um the shape of punk to come where they had like written a verse and then written a chorus and then tried to smash them together and make them work. Mm -hmm. And so I think six is a little bit more disjointed than this record is. So maybe I was projecting that onto this record, but I I thought that this is going to be less straightforward than it is. And it's really, there's some weird stuff that goes on, you know, like I think it's wide open space where there's like towards the end of the song, there's like this weird low vocal going, la, la, la. That's kind of kind of odd, and I don't mm-hmm. mind little oddities like that. But I I think there there's much weirder things going on on six, kind of like waiting for the weirdness to ha- to hit, and it didn't really.
0: Yeah, it's uh, there are moments, um, but it's pretty constrained. Like I'm trying to find which song it was. There's a song, might be wide open space. Yeah, it's wide open space. So they do the the verse I think three times, and on the third one. They introduce a weird, like, organ part, and then I think that vocal thing -hmm. that you're talking about. Yeah. Just to make that third verse interesting. And I appreciated that. You know what I mean? Like, the the parts they introduce, they don't... They just make you pay attention, but they don't get in the way. It's kind of, you know, just... Because your ear is so used to that verse. By the time you get to the third time, it's just a nice way to, to grab you. So... But other than that, yeah, I mean, it's pretty... There's like, um, I guess the only thing that would be weird is like, there's another song. They do a really cool thing in the chorus where, I don't know if it's edited this way or if they actually performed it, but the, the chorus is half organ and half like chunky guitar or fuzzy guitar, but they never play together. Like the, it'll be like the first part of the chorus, like two lines is organ and then there's like a hard switch to guitar. And it's really cool. Um, You kind of like it all blends together when you first listen to it. But when you break down what they're doing, um, it was I just thought it was a interesting technique. Okay, it's Stripper Vicar. (laughs) It's the song you don't have, of course. But yeah, the chorus is really interesting, like from a just a production technique standpoint. And it almost sounds like they maybe edited it. Like maybe they did all the instruments together and they went back and just kind of spliced it up so that they didn't overlap. But uh, it makes for a cool dynamic. But that's—it's not really weird. It's just kind of a different take on production. I, I don't think there's anything particularly weird about this record. Um, did you pick up on the concept of the record at all?
1: There's a concept. Yeah, it's Do a. Tell.
0: Well, <laughs> I don't know that it's, it's some huge revelation, but yeah, it's apparently a uh, unfinished concept and. <laughs> I think the basic idea is that I think uh, the Great Lantern is the whoever the singer or lyricist is, and he's walking through a town and all of these, a lot of the people that appear in these songs are characters that he sees. So like Tax Loss is a person, Stripper Vicar is a person, Dark Mavis is a person.
1: Egg-shaped Fred.
0: Yeah. These are all people that and characters that he comes across. And that's what makes it funny that they messed around with like removing some of these songs and replacing others because there's some the revelation that I think Dark Mavis and Stripper Vicar or something are the same person. I think you're supposed to figure that, be able to figure that out um, through the lyrics and stuff. So it's funny that they just, uh, they I mean, they admit that, you know, they started off as a concept record and I think it kind of fizzled out in terms of, you know, that becomes a lot of work to get all that to uh work as a narrative i'm sure so they they kind of abandoned the idea um and then obviously when they released it in the u.s just completely abandoned the idea by removing certain songs and changing the order stuff
1: does it shock you that this album went to number one in the uk not really
0: i mean i think like uh wide open space and even even a song like tax loss which i don't love but it's awfully melodic And, you know, I could see it being, you know, a clever radio song. Um, Not sure why it's seven minutes long. They go into this sort of mantra at the end that they could cut out. Um, Right. I think Stripper Vicar. I think H.J. Fred. I think there's a lot of songs on here that, you know, I could hear on the radio at that time. It would totally make sense to me. You know, now that I've revisited it, it doesn't shock me. Obviously, my memory of it was not that it would have been a number one record at all. I mean, I thought it was... Extremely obscure and like I said earlier, wouldn't even be on Spotify. So uh
1: Right. So the it, it
0: it more aligns with uh it, it's more aligned uh, uh, by revisiting it to me to, to be in a hit.
1: This was the number one album from March first, nineteen ninety seven to March seventh, nineteen ninety seven. Jay, do you wanna know what was the number one album before and after?
0: Nineteen ninety seven?
1: Yeah. So Blur's Blur was the album before it that was number one guess what the number one album was after it i have no idea spice by the spice girls
0: Huh. there you go do our research but that might have been the sort of the beginning of the end for Britpop pop too
1: well that's what i'm thinking because i'm like in terms of
0: it being like a char topping genre
1: well i mean if you look at 97 this is like from the beginning of the year reef oh yeah texas Blur, Manson, then Spice Girls, U2, Spice Girls, Chemical Brothers, Depeche Mode, Charlatans, Spice Girls, Michael Jackson, Gary Barlow, I don't know who that is, Wu-Tang Clan, Hanson, Radiohead, The Prodigy and Texas once again. And then what Oasis. Is Texas? So Texas were a Glasgow, Scotland Britpop band.
0: Huh. I'm sampling them now. I've never heard of any of this.
1: Yeah, and then Oasis puts out their album, so that goes to number one. Ocean Colour Scene, and then Spice Spice World by the Spice Girls, the soundtrack to their to their movie went number one, and then Celine Dion and The Verve, right. Madonna. Right, but yeah, this is this is where this is the year where uh, the Britpop gives way to the manufactured pop because later Boyzone would go number one.
0: Right. And the Robbie Williams band, I, I can't remember what they were called, but...
1: Well, they they were... This is when... So, 98 is when he puts out his first, I think, first solo record. But he was in like... No, it's his second solo record, actually. Boy group. Uh, Yeah, it was Was it Take That? Yeah. There you go.
0: Yeah, and it's just been... I don't know. When, I, when we had our Rip Hop episode and I revisited the charts right now, it's really just... American pop music and the British artists are like kind of throwback soul artists like Sam Smith or Adele, those kinds of of artists. That's the only like legitimate British non boy band music on the charts there. But I could see the rest of it's pretty much all American or whatever. What is New direction. What are they called? One direction,
1: one direction, that kind of shit. You called them one dimension in uh, the in the Britpop episode, and I thought that was apropos. Yeah, that was that was a a funny Freudian. Oops. Let's Jay. Let's wrap up and let's talk about our overall ratings for this record. Do you think this for for the album that you had? Did that work as a full album, or would you have preferred an EP or a single?
0: Yeah, I think so. I kind of got taken by the the stuff that was really different and wanted more of that but it didn't mean that um the stuff that was uh i guess a little bit more expected uh, you know there's some moments they sound like the verb or blur or um you know we kind of went through it right those aren't bad uh, the new order sounding stuff they're not bad i mean they're they're you know pretty solid songs as well i think it could be shorter you know there's a lot of long songs on here i mean none of these songs should be over three and a half minutes you know they could really condense these down and yeah be even be even poppier and, and more radio friendly than they are so i think with a little editing it would be really strong but i think as it is it's um it's better than an ep
1: yeah i'll agree with you it's it's on the edge of an ep in an album for me and i i think it's Overall, it's it's worth listening to as as an album. Um, There's a couple tracks that didn't like you mentioned, "Naked Twister" and "Who Do You You Who Do You Hate." I didn't necessarily care for that much, Um, but I think overall the album works pretty well. Depending on you know, even if you're working listening to your version or or my version, even though there's differences, um, there's a lot of strong material and there's always strong melodies in all of these songs. Oh yeah, which really is the glue to a good record
0: and they're not always the vocal i mean sometimes it's the vocal sometimes it's a string sometimes it's a guitar Mm -hmm. it's really well distributed um the bass plays a huge role in this record there's a lot of songs where other than the vocal it's the main focus um and the guitars almost at times i would say for the majority of this record guitars are just an accent you know sometimes they'll they'll play some really nice melodies sometimes they'll come in and provide um, the, the, the bigness or the weight that you want mm-hmm. but they're never really the focus um, of this record at all which is kind of interesting because I think a lot of Britpop that we've talked about it's really guitar focused right and yeah. bass is almost just a filler, Drum, bass and drums are almost just filler, it's just about you know, chords and, and a melodic vocal and this isn't like that at all
1: no that's a good point we were going to do an interview that related to Britpop next week but we had an opportunity to step outside of the Britpop world for our next interview so we're going to have to save that for later in the year I have some some feelers out there so hopefully we'll be able to do our Britpop interview later maybe over the spring or summer but we're going to be taking a detour next week and I've already posted it we're going to be talking to John Davis of Super Drag so that's gonna be fun if you have questions or you know comments, be sure to leave them on the posts uh, for the preview for that episode. If, like Gavin, you want to request a review, please head on over to digmeoutpodcast.com and hit our request review page. We need to thank Gavin Reed for once again giving us an interesting and cool record for us to check out. And once again, he stepped out of Australia. But I, I, when we do uh, our month... On Australian bands, I get the feeling we're going to be talking to about Gavin quite a bit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I feel like we've had some other Australian folks uh, recommend things. Am I wrong? Yep.
1: Kim, okay. Kim Bowie. Okay. Gave us Spider Bait and um, some other stuff. Cool. Which just drew a blank for the second, for the moment. But yeah, Kim gave us some really good records too to check out. So uh, be sure to hit out up our iTunes page if you want to leave some positive feedback for us. We'd appreciate it. And, uh, that's it for Jay. I am Tim and we are out. We'll be back next week with another episode. Dig me out.
2: Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed as well as links to our request-a-review and merchandise pages.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of z blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Let me start that over. That was amazing. Thanks. What's the name of this podcast again? Uh -uh. (laughs) This American Life. Welcome to This American Life. (coughs) Okay, starting over.